Welcome to the Array of Faith podcast, where we shed light on the beauty of our spiritual and religious differences. I'm your host, J. Dana Trent, professor of world religions and critical thinking at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Array of Faith podcast began as a way of connecting with Wake Tech students and beyond during this difficult time of pandemic. As a teacher of almost 10 years, I enjoy bringing guest practitioners into my classroom to help shed light on textbook academic theory and give students an opportunity to connect with real life practitioners. Due to the pandemic, we've been unable to invite guest practitioners into the classroom. So we began Array of Faith as a way of connecting with their stories, experiences, and hopefully enriching students' lives in the process. Welcome back to the Array of Faith podcast. I'm your host, J. Dana Trent, and I am joined by our producer and co-host, Gauravani Das. We have a very special episode today. For episode four, we are welcoming Reverend Lisa Yaboa. Reverend Yaboa is a graduate of Duke Divinity School and Wofford College. She is a South Carolina native and an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. She currently serves as the lead pastor of Southeast Raleigh Table, a campus of Edenton Street United Methodist Church. Reverend Yaboa is a Lululemon ambassador and a self-described spiritual ninja. I love that. Welcome, Lisa, to the podcast. Yay, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we are so glad you're here and you are a friend of Wake Tech. The students um, in previous semesters have gotten the benefit of your wisdom, and we're so grateful that you're able to join us in this medium this semester. So I'm I'm grateful for the invitation and grateful for uh, the students at Wake Tech who we get to connect with each other on Instagram. Yes, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. So yes, so many previous students know you well, get to follow your posts, and you are very active on Instagram. So we can post that link in the show notes as well. And these are, um, we're going to go through sort of our typical questions that we have in the seated classroom, but we always start out, as you know, with, you know, back to basics. So tell us about your spiritual and religious journey. Yeah, so um, I think it's always important for me to actually, in some ways, tell my story um, in, um, in, in, as, a, as a way of like talking about my kind of spiritual and religious background. I think from a very simple uh, standpoint, I would say that I'm a, a Christian woman who um, follows after Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Um, but my, my life story um, very much shapes how I understand faith, um, how I also understand a religious life. Um, both of my parents are from Ghana, West Africa. They immigrated to the United States um, in the mid to late uh, 70s. I was the first person in my family born on American soil. We grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, when I turned uh, like eight, nine, we uh, moved to Somerville, South Carolina, which is in the low country of South Carolina for anyone who might be familiar with uh, the geography there. It's not far away from Charleston. Um, and Charleston, um, as many of you know, was a major port city for um, the influx of slaves uh, into the colonies uh, during uh, um, America's earliest history. And so a lot of life in South Carolina is actually shaped by um, 
kind of plantation culture. Um, there's just a there's a uh, a rich and also sometimes a very uh, a kind of unfortunate history that is very real in um, the Low Country, the Low Country of South Carolina. And it was an it was an interesting kind of coalescing of cultures for me, the child of immigrants who are from West Africa, West Africans who came to the, you know, um, to the colonies, many of them as enslaved persons, my story being very different, but also to um, there being some cultural realities um, in the low country of South Carolina that very much resonate deeply to my parents' um, experience as West Africans. Um, and that also translated to um, certain experiences and culture within um, the church. I grew up in a United Methodist church, a predominantly uh, black church in, uh, in Somerville. And some of the songs that we would sing, the cadence of the songs that we would sing, some of our kind of even religious practices were very much shaped by the reality that most, um, well, most um, uh, black folk in South Carolina could connect their roots to those who were who were enslaved. And so um, I would say that my Christian faith was very much an embodied faith. Uh, it was very much a faith that uh, was uh, wrapped around feelings of liberation and freedom. And so reading scripture, listening to sermons, singing songs, entering into particular religious practices, it wasn't just a mental exercise. For me, uh, faith was very bodily because people, um, you know, other Black folk who I grew up with had a very, um, had to navigate the world, had to navigate South Carolina very differently. And um, I would say that our, our, our faith lives are not disconnected from life. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm a Christian woman, but I'm a Christian woman whose faith and religious life was very much shaped by the realities of the, you know, the low country of South Carolina. Mm, thank you so much. That really, that helps our students. You're right. Story is so important. And our students have been learning about narrative. So sources of sacred truth within indigenous and spiritual traditions. And our students have studied um, the indigenous traditions of Africa, of course, a very, very diverse continent. Yeah. But West Africa in particular, our students are familiar with some of the traditions. And I love your emphasis on the way of life, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I'm so grateful that you rooted us in this story and in the reality of the transatlantic slave trade. So thank you for, for fusing that together for students who needed the real life application of what that looks like in the sure. low country of the United States. And so that kind of goes straight into the theological piece of this, because um, of course, your, your parents immigrated from West Africa, but you grew up in this in a Christian tradition, the Christian church that was very influenced by that culture. And so from a theological perspective, our students study ultimate reality, way of life and ultimate purpose. So where do we come from? How should we live and where are we going? So what did that look like for you growing up? And maybe what does it look like now if it's changed? Yeah, you know, um, I think, so where, where, what did it look like? Um, I feel like I did not understand my faith apart from Jesus as a liberator. And so, you know, within the Christian tradition, we might say that uh, in some ways Jesus kind of like, 
stands at the at the center of how we kind of navigate um, the triune God who we understand to be a creator, uh, a redeemer, sustainer, father, son, Holy Spirit. There are lots of ways that we understand the triune God, but you know, the person of Jesus kind of like stands at the at the center. And I would say that I um, just kind of understood Jesus to be a liberator, one who was always among those that the world had cast aside. Um, uh, Jesus who sits with um, who who sits with the uninvited guest and who wants us to have an expansive table. Jesus who heals people on days when he's not supposed to be healing people, but still doing it any anyway. And basically saying like um, that he turns everything upside down in regards to what we might think is right or wrong or who who's in or who's out. Um, Jesus, who was also born to um, parents who were on the who were refugees on the run. If you um, get to read some of the biblical narratives, you know Mary and Joseph, Jesus's kind of earthly parents, had to basically flee um, for Jesus's safety. There's, you know, so um, that's kind of how. Not that you know anyone said to me when I was younger, "Do you understand Jesus?" At, you know, as a liberator, but the way in which um, you know, folks talked about, um, you know, Jesus setting them free or, you know, Jesus meeting our needs or a, a God who loves or a God who is with the um, oppressed. That was definitely something that was just kind of like a lived, kind of a lived experience. Um, and I would say that now as a, as a pastor and a person who's still, um, whose life is still being shaped by like scripture and prayer that, um, that I, I definitely have this love of how Jesus, um, there's a passage of scripture that says this, where Jesus says, um, um, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And, you know, Jesus basically means that in the here and now, we can have a life that is filled with and mercy and grace. We can have a life that is filled with um, an overwhelming sense of, uh, of knowing that we're worthy and that we're, we're beloved. And as a pastor, and as a person who's in, incredibly committed to justice, I always think to myself, what are the ways in which the world keeps people from knowing peace? What are the ways in which the world keeps people from knowing uh, what it is to um, have a seat at the table? What are the ways in which the world keeps people anxious? And if those, those things are not the things of, of Jesus, but Jesus invites me into a life that, um, that I don't only just watch what Jesus did, but I also do what Jesus did. And so um, I'm now, you know, as a pastor and just as a, as a person who follows Christ, always thinking to myself, what systems in this world keep people from life? What systems in this world keep people from peace? What systems in this world keep people from knowing themselves liberated? And specifically in this historic moment, uh, I like to say, you know, we're living in the midst of a pandemic and a new revolution, this inflection point where um, for, for me and for folks within my church community uh, and the neighbors that I serve, where we really want to say that uh, if we're all made in the image of God, then Black Lives Matter. You know, uh, I now realize like, oh, um, the way that I was shaped as a child is now spilling over in the ways in which I show up as a pastor and as a person who still um, considers myself Christian that, um, that where there is liberation and where there is life, that's what God is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautifully said, beautifully. And that encompasses so much theology in those three categories of ultimate reality, way of life and ultimate purpose. 
And I love how you, you brought it to, to modernity for us. You, you talked mm. about the here and now the present moment. What does this theology look like um, on the ground today, living in today's world? And my question for you is in terms of the way of life, being a person who is looking, constantly looking around the world to gauge and review and reform the systems that keep people from living life abundantly, what does that look like in your way of life daily practice? Mm, yeah, you know, um, I always say that whatever we do in church, so not that church is like the totality of um, uh, of our spiritual lives or our religious life, but I like to think of the practices that we learn in church um, are like the dress rehearsal for how we live out our daily lives. Mm -hmm. And our daily lives become a way that just um, affirm the ways in which we live out kind of our spiritual and religious lives within um, within the Christian church. And so um, for me, um, I am mindful of like, um, you know, we say that we, we are we are what we eat. And so um, having some practice of reading scripture, like consuming scripture, like feasting. Sometimes we use this term feasting on the word. So having a daily practice of, of reading um, our holy scriptures. Also to praying in the same way that I Marco Polo, my friends um, or um, send people you know, messages through IG stories. I also feel that it is important for me to have connection and communion with God. And so prayer, like literally speaking to God today, I took a walk between um, 12.30 and 1.30 and I just literally walked and talked to God in my neighborhood. I'm certain my neighbors thought I was, you know, having a moment, but that's just for me, I, 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 it's good for me to move and to talk. I don't always feel like I have to have my head bowed down. Um, I also think even my table practices, like, who um, right now during COVID, it's a little more challenging, but um, you know, who do I invite to just share meals with me? There's something really powerful about eating with other people, hearing people's stories. And if we didn't think eating was so powerful, we wouldn't, there wouldn't have been seasons even in our own um, country's history where people were, were supposed to, were separated or segregated um, at, the, at the table. Eating is a very dangerous and beautiful, um, a very beautiful practice. It also looks like, um, where I buy my food and and um, and who provides the food to my table? Like, what does it look like to eat justly? To think about um, the people who who pick the um, the food that I eat? Do they make a living wage? Like, I think that you know, if God is a God of justice and of creation, then in all the little small ways that I live that I live my life, um, it should be reflected in. Um, in, in those practices. And so there what I there are th these things called like the spiritual disciplines. There there are ways that we connect with God and we connect with neighbor that I think are incredibly important. But I also feel like working out and um you know how I show up on my front porch and like make space for my neighbor also says something about um, who I am as a person who is shaped by faith. Mm, that's so well said. So well said. Thank you. And you've, you've painted a picture for us about the spiritual di disciplines that encompass your day. And I love that you said that, you know, meals are dangerous, you know, if, yeah. and, uh, because they, they foster such connections and that that's such a, a good word, pastor. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for, I don't know that I've ever thought about it in that way, but even Jesus thought that meals were dangerous, yes. right? Or those around him thought they were dangerous. And so um, my next question for you is all of these daily disciplines, this way of life, 
for you and your experience and perhaps in your congregation and community, what is it leading to? What is the ultimate purpose, mm-hmm. ultimate destination of where we are going given this way of life? Yeah. So um, one of my favorite lines um, that is sometimes used within kind of the Christian tradition is, may I be covered in the dust of my rabbi? And um, how, what that's understood to say is like, let me follow after Jesus so closely, Jesus being our rabbi or our teachers, what rabbi means. Let me follow Jesus so closely that I literally am covered in the dust from when Jesus is kicking um, his heels. Um, and for me, I think, you know, ultimately it is how, how is my life shaped by these practices? How is my life shaped by the teachings of Jesus? How is my life shaped by the spiritual life that when people see me, they have an experience of who I believe Jesus to be? So, you know, you talked about how, you know, Jesus was always eating meals, but um, Jesus also disrupted um, who we think who we think should get an invite and who we don't think should get mm-hmm. an, an invite. And so how does that show up in my life around who I keep at arm's length and who I bring close. You know, Jesus has very strong words about those that we would call enemies, that we would actually pray for them or that we would one day consider them to be friends, that we would be, um, we would extend the kind of grace that that the person who is the most maybe unlikable or unlovable in your life, that you would still um, have this desire not to hashtag cancel that person, but to figure, you know, it's not to say that, you know, it's not always hard to be in relationship with people, but how can we not dehumanize, um, dehumanize the other? Um, and so I think ultimately, you know, to, uh, I think all of these things that we do, it's not just so we jump through moral hoops. Like I don't need to get a moral, a moral award one day, you know, um, but instead that my life be lived so beautifully and I would say beautifully looks like I live in the ways of Jesus. My life is so, is lived so beautifully that it would be a compelling life to other people. Mm. Um, We've all been in the presence of someone who, because of their, um, you know, just their lack of kindness, or there's always something that they're upset about, or they live, you know, always on the point of rage. It's very hard for you to say, God, I want to, I want to be like them. But there are other people when we're in their presence, the way in which they are intentionally kind to us, the way in which they offer up words of grace over us, maybe the way that their laughter is like a balm or their joy can even get us out of the pit of despair. You you might say to them, you know, God, you just live a life that is really compelling. Like there's something about your life that feels as one of my friends, his church community would say, that feels worth imitating. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's not that I want people to be hashtag goals, you know, where they look at me and they think that's not the case, but I would hope that my life is shaped in such a way that people would say, God, the peace that Lisa seems to have, I want, I would love to have that kind of peace. The, the joy that Lisa seems to exude, I would love to exude that, that, that joy. The, the way in which Jesus, Lisa shows up for people when they're hurting, gosh, I would love, you know, I, I, there's something com- compelling about it. It's not that we have to all be the same, And it's not that that people have to be like me, but that maybe they would see that my life has been shaped by something that's grander than me. It's not just out of my human strength, but because I really do believe there's something beautiful about the texture of, of who Jesus is.
Mm, that's beautifully said. Wow, thank you. And such a contemporary read on on what it means to be a follower in the Christian tradition of, of the teacher, Jesus. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And you talked a bit about, you know, how the pandemic has shifted some of your meal practices. Yes. So I know you've already named one thing, but how, in what other ways has the pandemic affected you, your beliefs, practices, and, or your yeah. Southeast Raleigh table community? Yeah, gosh, I feel like that could be a whole nother podcast just in and of itself. Um, one, um, there is a collective grieving that I think has happened in the midst of this pandemic that whether you are, um, you have lots of wealth or not, uh, whether you feel like you were the most prepared in life or not, we are all having to journey through a pandemic. And this pandemic is quite leveling. Um, how we experience the pandemic might look different based off of our resources. But at the end of the day, all of us are in the middle of a global worldwide pandemic. And I feel like the pandemic has exposed in everyone's life to a certain extent where we have needs and where we are fragile. And so um, I am learning to depend on God in new ways and that I, I don't have a manual to get us to get myself out of this. I mean, I, you know, at the height of shelter in place, I just realized like, I've never been here before. Um, no one is going to be able to point to a paragraph to tell me how we can magically just make it all better. Um, we all had to kind of like be okay with the fact that it wasn't okay. And so that makes it, it, it like, it reveals our neediness in some ways that, oh, you know, I really am human. I'm not superhuman <laughs> um, like I thought I was uh, early in March before we had to take shelter in place. The other thing that I'm also realizing is how important it is for me to, um, to pick up embodied practices in our faith that like, especially when you spend so much time at home alone, that's, was, that's my reality. I have a dog who doesn't really do all that much. And so I've been at home alone, just you know, with my thoughts uh, during this pandemic. And so embodied practices have really mattered to me, like praying while I'm walking. I have done a lot of dancing. Um, I almost as a means of just kind of like um, reminding myself that I'm going to be okay. Like movement reminds me that I'm going to be, I'm mm -hmm. going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Meditating in the morning, like reminding myself that, you know, um, of, the, of the promises that I believe of God, that God does love me, that God isn't going to forsake me, that, you know, God does um, care about, our physical, our spiritual, and our emotional well-being. But the, I think one of the things that has been so surprising to me during this pandemic has been, um, well, two things. One, I have relied a lot on the things of faith that sustained me when I was a child. So I, I still can remember songs that older women would sing in, the, in church. And those are the songs that I find myself singing now. Almost like they've become my pandemic lullabies. Um, and, and oftentimes it's because these women who raised me in the church, um, they, you know, they, they live some hard lives. I mean, I, they, they probably could have navigated this pandemic easily because their lives were always kind of like a pandemic, you know, um, yeah. and, the, and the ways in which they had to, you know, struggle and, and, and survive. And I find myself leaning into those words, like um, something about, the simple songs with without music, but just literally the tapping of their their feet um, feels feels like some feels very much 
it, I feel at home in that. Um, and then the last thing I would say is uh, for my church community and for myself, this pandemic has also helped me um, think about what my faith looks outward beyond myself. Mm-hmm. Um, to ask this question that Jesus once asked, which is like, you know, who is your neighbor? And realizing that like for the kids um, who I used to see at the bus stop, who now I know are doing virtual learning, you know, what does it look like to show up for people differently? Mm-hmm. Or folks who find themselves food insecure, what does it look like for our church community to show up for our community um, that that our neighbors might, you know, might be fed or to be a pop-up COVID testing um, uh, center or to come alongside folks who might be unemployed or underemployed um, or even just to recognize that for some individuals, loneliness and being by themselves is um, is the thing they struggle with, not just during the pandemic, but before pandemic and maybe something they struggle with even afterwards. And so what does it look like for us to be friends um, to really connect with people. I mean, truly to deeply connect with people um, when we have opportunities uh, to, to do so. So I, you know, I think this pandemic has reminded me and this, again, I know this is gonna sound so odd that I am human and that God is God. <laughs> um, there's something really beautiful. There's something really hard about being in a helpless moment. I, I cannot wish away this pandemic and yet, Yet God, as I understand God to operate in this world is sustaining me and is sustaining others. Beautifully said, wow, wow. Thank you, that you gave us a lot of food for thought. Yeah, and I know Gorman's got a question. Lisa, I have a um, follow-up question. Yeah. And it kind of uh, comes full circle, term that you used uh, at the beginning, and that term is embodied faith. So I think yeah. you've just spoken a lot about what embodied faith might look like, um, but I'm, I'm trying to understand it a little bit more myself. So it implies that there may be a version or an approach to the Christian faith that is unembodied. So yeah. I, wondered, I was wondering if you could kind of briefly talk about the two and contrast them um, and just kind of um, explore that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes when we talk about faith or religious life, we, we sometimes can like reduce it to what do I believe like in my head, you know, like, Oh, do I believe in the triune God? You know, do I believe that, you know, Jesus is, you know, um, is the, you know, uh, is, you know, uh, God in flesh, you know, fully God and fully human. Um, do I believe in communion? Do I believe, you know, baptism for children. I mean, sometimes I think we think of faith in regards to like a mental exercise and we forget that there are ways in which um, one bodily, like, you know, my, my posture of prayer, that there's something about kneeling and bowing that even when I'm washing dishes and I'm praying that that can be a part of my kind of in kind of embodied faith. So there are these like actual practices that, that, um, that, uh, that that we that they're really like gesturing with our with with our bodies that I think are 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 important. But I also think embodied faith is that it's not just about what I say or what I believe, but that what I believe actually turns into um, how how I live. Like if I say that um, that uh, that God cares about creation, you know, or that God creates all things. An embodied faith might show up in like my, 
my recycling practices. Mm. Like it, like there's an, oh, because God cares about creation, then I care about creation. Okay, if God cares for those who are on the margins, it's not just enough for me to say, oh, I love my neighbors. It's like, well, how do I also show up for folks who find themselves pressed by systems? Um, like literally, like, is that our, it's like, I always say this, that you have to marry head and heart. You marry your head and your heart when it comes to faith. And then it needs to um, inform what you do with your hands and your feet, like how you show up in the in the world. And so that's what I mean by an embodied thing. I think there are a lot of people who can put, um, you can put a bumper sticker on your car, you can wear a necklace around your neck and say, okay, yeah, that makes me a person of faith. But it's like, well, but um, what does it look like um, mm. for you to be a person of faith? Do, 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 does your faith have feet? Mm. <laughs> you know, does your faith have a heart? Does your faith have a voice? Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's what, that's what I mean by kind of an, emb- an embodied faith. And so when I would say that, oh, someone has got a disembodied faith, I would say maybe they say a lot of things, <laughs> but, but, um, and I'm not just talking about, oh, you got to be just busy, you know, with a lot of, you know, kind of, and this is air quotes, a lot of spiritual work. I don't mean busyness, but um, what does it look like? you know, does your faith kind of have flesh and bones uh, mm-hmm. to it? Mm, very well said. Yeah, thank you. That was very helpful, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah, I think we all need faith with feet right now. Yeah. It's a time for yeah. bodied faith. Thank you. And and um, on that note, what parting wisdom, because, you know, we always end with this with our students who are on a journey. What parting wisdom do you have for our students as they continue to navigate their religious and spiritual and just just journeys in general, ex- explorations? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think what I would just say, this is the first thing that just kind of came to my mind, and that is um, it's okay to start with questions mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to feeling like you have to... Um, have all the answers. Um, sometimes the questions cause us to bump into our faith. Um, and, you know, we can be sometimes chastised or criticized if we have too many questions, but I actually, I actually think there's something really beautiful about saying, I, you know, I want to understand why. I, I want to understand who. I'm trying to figure out um, how and 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 to and to just know that like if you can maybe connect your your questions with and this is going to be one way that I'm going to be courageous and try a thing so maybe you have questions about prayer well maybe try it mm-hmm. maybe you have questions around you know oh I just want to know more about the life of Christ maybe say, I'm going to read one chapter. I just, I'm just going to read one chapter of one book in the gospels in, in Holy scripture. I, I, I think sometimes, um, you just start mm. and, and, and it doesn't have to look like the person to the left or to the right. You start, um, and let it be your process, uh, and trust your process. Mm. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you. And thank you for joining us. And students, you've been listening to Reverend Lisa Yaboa in her breadth and depth of wisdom in the Christian tradition. Thanks so much for being here, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Array of Faith podcast, shedding light on the beauty in our faith, spiritual, and religious differences. I've been your host, 
J. Dana Trent, Professor of World Religions at Wake Tech Community College in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us.